Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Hi, welcome to Peacock Politics. Before we get going, a disclaimer of sorts. I recorded this episode in the weeks just before the COVID-19 outbreak turned into this life-altering pandemic, so that's why we haven't referenced it. Now that's done, sit back and join me in learning a little bit more about how Australian politics works in a normal world. Hopefully we get back there soon, and please do all you can to stay healthy. A Podcast One production. Who runs this joint? We're led to believe the Prime Minister does and the party said Prime Minister represents. So politicians run this joint. Yeah, well, um, yeah. I'm Adam Peacock and on Peacock Politics, I want to delve into how much our government really has a say in what direction Australia takes economically and socially. Is it, in fact, big business that guides it all? And politicians are just minor players in the grand scheme. And do we worry a bit too much about how politicians' actions affect our day-to-day existence? Do we, in fact, live in a country run by, as my guest calls it, the deep state? My guest is the infinitely knowledgeable Dr Keith Souter, Managing Director Global Direction's Think Tank and the man behind the Global Truths podcast. Check it out after this on Podcast One. It's well worth your time. Keith, thank you for your time on Peacock Politics. You're the first double episode guest on this series. Congratulations. Good. Thanks very much indeed. Glad (laughs) to be back. The Deep State. Now, it sounds like the name for a crime fiction novel or something like that. Can you explain to us in short terms what the deep state is? So the deep state as an expression is getting very popular because Donald Trump uses it, but he's using it in the wrong sense. He's simply saying anybody who disagrees with him is a member of the deep state. So he's tapping into conspiracy theories about how the United States is governed. For me, the deep state in Great Britain is called the establishment. President Eisenhower in the United States referred to the military-industrial complex. Uh, The deep state are the people who run the country on a day-to-day basis. It's not a conspiracy. They're not hiding in plain sight. They are there. They're the people who are in the civil service or the banks, the major financial institutions, intelligence agencies in the United States. You obviously have to include the military as well. So these are the people who are running the country on a day-to-day basis. Politicians come and go, Hmm. but these are the people who stay from one decade to the next. They have the files and there is a long institutional memory. So what is the the absolute proof that the general person in the street can see of how a deep state controls their lives but helps run their lives? Well, the most obvious one is that the BBC refers to Australia as the democratic coup capital of the Western world because of the rapid turnover of prime ministers. And yet The Economist magazine, also in London, refers to Australia as the wonder down under, Mm. that Australia has now gone for 29 years without a recession. It's the longest period of economic growth in the history of the Western world, and we begin the records in 1750. So that's why Australia is the wonder down under. And yet we're changing our politicians all the time. What is this element of continuity that keeps Australia ticking over? It's the major financial institutions, the banks, etc. The civil servants, the Reserve Bank, 
They are the ones who are working to secure Australia's long-term future. How exactly are they doing it? Oh, in their case, we've had the deregulation of the economy. That itself is an interesting example, by the way, that if you look back at the way that economic philosophy has changed, in the 1920s, particularly in the United States, we had this attitude of just let everything rip, the roaring 20s, you may remember from your gangster movies, etc. Then you get the Great Depression. And the United States got out of that Great Depression and won World War II because of government intervention in the economy, similarly here in Australia. So in Sydney, for example, we had the the building of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, which kept people employed during that construction phase. So you had government intervention in the economy. So people then who would have lived through the 30s and then the early 40s, World War II, would have grown up with this idea of government intervention in the economy, high rate of taxation, but a big delivery of welfare services. And I grew up in post-war London, so I had a free university education, obviously as a national health system in Great Britain, etc. What we have now got, though, is an economic philosophy which says, no, we've got to leave more and more to the market. Everything is just a giant business. We don't build in redundancy. So redundancy means that you get, like we built Sydney Harbour Bridge, that can take far more vehicles than it currently does because that's the way they did things in the 1930s. Now everything is done just in time. You don't hold a, a huge stockpile of goods. You just order stuff in very quickly. And yet when you get a tragedy, as we've seen with the Australian bushfires, you can end up with things being disrupted. Mm. So if you were living on the coast of eastern Victoria, you would have seen just how fragile that just-in-time makes your society. So we had a change in philosophy. How did that change come about? It wasn't driven by politicians. They read out the scripts from the people within the deep state who tell them what they need to say. Politicians are adept at running elections and hopefully, from their point of view, winning those elections. But when they get into office, they are then reading the scripts of the people that have been prepared for them. So in the case of this change in the economic philosophy, from relying upon government to then people being responsible for their own, say, university education, etc. In Great Britain, that was a conservative government. In the United States, the change came under a conservative government, a Republican government, Ronald Reagan. In Australia and New Zealand, it came under Labour governments. Different political parties, different labels, but the same economic philosophy. That shows the power of the deep state to write the same script for different political parties. I'm just trying to put a face or a bunch of faces to the deep state because you can easily put a bunch of faces to a political party because they all meet down in Canberra and they yell at each other and they carry on and they try to drive the country forward in their own special way. But you, you take a step back and you're talking about the deep state. Are these people in communication with each other, like, you know, governors of reserve banks and, and the like? Are they, are they in cahoots with each other or are they, are they all operating off a philosophical blueprint to push their case of how they think the country should run? Well, the reserve bank governors do actually meet. It's mm. at the Bank of International Settlements every month in Switzerland, right? That's the bankers, bankers, bank. But hardly anybody knows about it. So it's got a website, yeah. bis.org. You can look it up but they just don't publicise it because the media do such a poor job of educating the general public. The media focus upon personalities. They want individuals. Whereas, in fact, you've got behind the scenes, the people actually run the country are not seeking the headlines. Mm. They're, they're available, like, you know, the governor of the Reserve Bank, he, he's a public figure, but it's just that we don't focus very much on him. 
Uh, we just focus on the politicians because they're entertainers. So with that guy you just mentioned, the governor of the Reserve Bank, is he more important than the Prime Minister? See, this is the problem. If you try to work out who's more important than others, mm. it get, gets very complicated indeed. I would just simply say he's a lot more important than a lot, a lot of people give him credit for. And the power of the Prime Minister is overrated because the Prime Minister can decide to do certain things and yet not get them done, or a president for that matter. But the Governor of Reserve Bank, for example, if they want something done, generally speaking, they get well, it done. If they want to change the interest rates, it'll affect your mortgage, yes. Yeah, and that does <laughs> First Tuesday of each month. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but always. I remember, it, I know it's always on Melbourne Cup Day because exactly. it's the first Tuesday first of November. Serve, that's easy to remember. <laughs> that's about the, the rest of them I kind of forget about, but I always recall that, oh, yeah, I can have a better Melbourne Cup Day now that the mortgage has gone down. Anyway, our political system, is it set up in a way and you've got such an extensive knowledge of our political system, the Washminster system, a, yeah. a hybrid of how America... Well, Washington and, and Westminster. That, yeah. that explains the Australian political system. Hmm. But you've also got to build into this what I call, well, in Great Britain it's called the establishment. Yeah. Right? Washminster refers to Washington, which is Congress and the White House, and Westminster, which would be the Houses of Parliament. Right? But behind that, across, well, if you take the Westminster example, across the road you've got Whitehall. Mm. That's where the establishment resides. So if you think about the Yes Minister TV series, oh, that got, was set. That was before my time, Just. <laughs> oh, well, it's still well worth getting, getting YouTube it on it? YouTube. Yeah, okay. yeah, yep. Very good education about the real world of politics. Okay. And it shows you the power of the civil service. And they're across the road. They're, they're in Whitehall. Running things. Exactly. Is it set up to let a deep state prosper or it's just happen that way. And when I say prosper as in like have the run at it that it kind of does in terms of how we live our day-to-day lives. It's the reality. You know, you come in, you've only got 24 hours in the day. The amount of attention that you now have to get your head around is just overwhelming for the ordinary person. It's just so much easier to just take things on trust and just let them go through to the keeper. Mm. It's, It's just the sheer complexity of trying to run this government, particularly if you're a politician in a parliamentary system, because you've also got to look after your local constituency if you're in the lower house. You've also got, of course, to have all your party intrigues, squabbling for party leadership. You know, as we meet today, there's been a dispute in one of the of the political parties. That's what politicians, that's their core business, squabbling among themselves, jostling for power. Mm. And then, of course, you've got the job of actually running a government department as well. So it's very easy to just concentrate on the politics and the squabbling and leave the civil servants to run the department. They're the ones with the access to the files. They're the ones who can read through all the paperwork. How has the concept of a deep state come about? How did it come to being and prosper or, or grow into yeah. our uh, everyday lives alongside the political system? Well, as I said, the, I'm getting invitations to speak about the deep state because of Donald Trump. He uses that phrase mm. as a way of criticising all of his opponents. So he's he's got the right phrase, but using it in the wrong context. The deep state actually has origins in Turkey and Egypt, both of which have very strong military. So the military have run those societies. In Great Britain, we call it the establishment. In the United States, it's called the invisible government. So Donald Wise wrote the book about that oh, 60 years ago, I think. And then President Eisenhower, in his farewell address to Congress in 1961, talked about the military-industrial complex. In other words, that he had seen the transformation of the military 
from being a small force as recently as 1940, the Army of Greece was larger than the Army of the United States. And after World War II, you've got this huge establishment, people who make money out of having jobs connected with the military, not fighting wars. America has not won a major war since 1945, but there's a lot of money to be made in preparing for war mm-hmm. and then scrapping weapon systems and pl- replacing them with, with new weapon systems. In other words, the deep state just is there to perpetuate itself and keep itself going. Should we trust people who are involved in the deep state? Well, you've got no choice. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you've got no choice. The deep state run your life. What do you do? Go off the grid. Try to live without electrical power. Try to live without telecommunications. So give us a couple of examples how the deep state are involved in my day-to-day life. Well, obviously one we've already touched on, which is the Reserve Bank, right? Mm. That controls the interest rates, which therefore affects your investments. They would also, your background is in sport, etc. They would also be involved in laying down the regulations for sport, coordinating with other countries on what should be appropriate drug treatments, etc., Ordinary politicians can't get their heads around all those details. You need to rely on medical experts or athletics experts or whatever to come up with that information. As I say, there's nothing sinister here. Mm. This is just the real world. But the problem is the ordinary person does not get a clear view of the real world because we fixate so much on individuals and also the British royal family. They are entertainment issues. And that's basically what the mainstream media is about. Let me just say, it's one of the values of the podcast system that people can now get information elsewhere other than the mainstream media. Hmm. It's what is called the intellectual dark web. So you can draw on information, which is not necessarily mainstream information, and you can get yourself a good education now, not relying on the mainstream media, but just relying on what's on the YouTube. There's a lot of rubbish on YouTube. Yeah. There's also a lot of good stuff. Is this the intellectual dark web that we're sitting in right now? Exactly. Wow. I feel intelligent. (laughs) I'm not intelligent. I know I'm not intelligent, but I feel intelligent because of it. And people can then learn about stuff which they're not going to pick up on their school civics books, which is the the, the phrase deep state is not taught in schools. Mm. I think it ought to be, but it's not. What are the pros and cons of a deep state? Well, let me just say it's something which exists and I don't see how you can live without it. So it's not Mm. a question of saying whether it's good or bad. What I'm saying is we simply have to pay more attention to recognising its existence and therefore being able to say we know that it exists, we know where the power is and we know where the power's not. Mm. You know, we spend a lot of time worrying about the foibles of politicians. They're taking up a lot of oxygen, but that's not necessarily where, where the power is. It also affects on how you want to bring about political change because you have the long march through the institutions. That's actually a Marxist expression, but applies everywhere. That, In other words, you get people who work within the organisations and over a long period of time can change policies. And that's how the social change occurs. You get dramatic changes in the external environment and you get people who are well-placed in the middle saying, we have to respond to those changes. And the politicians get drawn along behind that. So if you take, for example, the issue of climate change, you've got groups of people influenced by the coal lobby who are saying there is no problem with climate change. And yet you've got others who are going to be influenced by the insurance industry, also part of the deep state, who will say we're paying out more and more money for weather-related damages. There must be something in climate change. So you see how behind the scenes the battles take place 
behind between these huge financial institutions and the civil service. Depends on the context. But you've got these battles that go on, but they don't make it onto the front pages because we convert everything into being a personality dispute between the prime minister, the leader of the opposition and people who want to get their jobs. It sounds like the deep state, you're painting a picture that it can't fall into the wrong hands because if it goes well, everyone wins. Yeah. Figuratively speaking, obviously there's some losers along the way, but more people win by the fact if the deep state is pushing the country in the right direction. So obviously the conspiracy theorist at the back of my head is saying that what if a nut job or a bunch of nut jobs end up in control of the deep state and push it down a path that the rest of us don't really want? Absolutely. And I'm happy to talk to you about conspiracy theories on a separate day because it is a separate issue. Yeah. The problem is the way that Trump uses the expression. It gives space for people to then talk about conspiracy theories. Mm. Whereas what I'm doing is simply saying this is reality. Yeah. When I'm giving talks on this subject, I, I, I'm usually giving a talk at a conference in a hotel and I say, look, there's this gorgeous building, a bit like Parliament House or Congress in Washington. It's a gorgeous building. And then into this building, you get people who will come for a certain amount of time as guests. In Australia, it's three years. In the United States, two years in Congress, six years for the Senate, four years for the President. But they're in for a set amount of time. And you have staff who will run around looking after them. And then you will also have people who will come into that building for a cup of coffee, right? So that's the equivalent of the voter coming in, right? In America, it's not compulsory. More Americans used to vote to an American Idol than vote in presidential contests. About 55% of Americans vote. In Australia, you are obliged to have a cup of coffee while you're in the, in the hotel. And while you're sitting in the hotel, you're not discussing what's going on in the hotel you're discussing mortgages, the misbehaviour of your children, what the neighbours are getting up to, etc. But also in that hotel, keeping it ticking over is a back office. Now, I do a lot of conferences, mm-hmm. but I very rarely go into the back office. But I know that every hotel has got a manager and they will have a staff of people who will fix the plumbing, look after the electricity, pay off all the bills, etc., look after the payment of staff. And that's basically a way of thinking about the deep state, mm-hmm. that we have the hotel staff who are looking after us, either as we're going in as guests or we're going in for a cup of coffee. And the politicians are concierge, are they? <laughs> well, just the, the politicians f- are the guests. They're only going in yeah. for three or four years, depending <laughs> on the electoral system. And yeah. that's all they're focused on, two years, three years, etc. How do politicians ensure that the deep state works for their needs as a politician? It's actually very difficult for a politician to influence the deep state mm. because the deep state clearly runs on its own clear philosophy You can get major changes taking place. And if a good politician is someone who manages to sense what the Germans call the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. So you take someone like Margaret Thatcher, right? So she introduced new right economic philosophy. She was a great believer, by the way, in the Yes Minister TV series. So Margaret Thatcher becomes prime minister in 1979 with a whole new agenda for getting rid of government in running the British economy more privatisation, corporatisation, et cetera. So she came in with that. But also there were civil servants who over the years had decided the old way of running the economy with the government making all the major decisions, that was no longer appropriate. And so here you have a prime minister who fits in with the change within the thinking of the deep state. That makes sense. Well, on the other hand, if you have a prime minister who comes in or a president, let's take Senator Sanders, Bernie Sanders, Mm. If he were ever to become president, he'd be in a permanent logjam with Congress because the logjam, the, the Congress would be influenced by the financial institutions, etc. 
Look at Barack Obama. He had eight years in office. Only two years were really useful. And he never touched the whole issue of financial reform. Hmm. The banks had ganged up against him. So if you're going to clash with the deep state, there's no guarantee you're going to win through. Unless the deep state is developing doubts of its own, and in which case you're coming in and you will fit in with those. The same with the Australian context, I've got to say, that the Fraser government mm. in the lead-up to Labor coming to power was also developing its own doubts. But Malcolm Fraser was a believer in the government intervention in the economy, despite what he had to say. But it was Labor who introduced those major reforms. How does it work? You touched on it before about in the deep state, say there's the medical industry, for example, pharmaceutical companies or the insurance companies and um, you've mentioned the banks as well and other financial institutions, if they start bumping into each other about how things should be run, do we feel the effect of that or is this all going on while our day-to-day lives are just meandering along as normal? Well, I think most people would not be aware of what's going on because they're not paying attention to it. Mm. You know, their head is full of entertainment or they're worried about mortgages, what the kids are getting up to, etc. Getting the kids to school on time. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Whereas uh, clearly, in, in my line of work, I have to spend time looking at how the corporations do clash with each other. There's clearly a clash between the insurance industry and the energy industry. At the moment. At the yeah. moment. It's a very clear clash. Now, if you're involved in it, you get to hear the points of view from other people. But I think the ordinary person in the street will simply not be that caught up in that clash because they've got other agenda items. It, it's very complicated being a parent nowadays and all these other stresses to which the ordinary person is subjected. And so people are quite happy to leave it to others to make those decisions. So that clash that you talk of at the moment between the insurance industry and the energy industry, for example, we will only really know who wins that particular head-to-head battle when the politician comes out and says, this is what's happening with climate change policy. He or she gets guided by whoever wins that. Whoever wins it, that's when you'll get to hear about it. Absolutely. And don't forget, within the energy industry, you've also got divisions between those who are pushing solar power (laughs) and those who want to hold on to coal. Mm. So life is a permanent struggle. And a lot of people just are unaware of that because they've got their own struggle with mortgages and children and whatever. So they're not paying attention to these other forces. Former Treasurer Joe Hockey, former Treasurer of the Federal Government Joe Hockey, who is out of politics now on a hands-on basis, said recently that government is like a safety net. It's not really government running the place. So it's along the the lines Mm. of your thinking as well. But he he called government a safety net. Is that round about the mark, do you think? I think the word safety net is a good phrase in the Australian context rather than the American context. So in other words, nobody is ever bankrupted in Australia because of healthcare costs. In the United States, that's the single most important reason for individual bankruptcy. People can't pay their hospital bills. All right. right? So in Australia, we, we have a reasonable health system. Hmm. And so that is a safety net. So I think that hockey is correct there. The government does provide a basic safety net, same with environmental laws that are designed to protect the cleanliness of the environment, cleanliness of the water. So yes, absolutely, government is there for that. But when you talk about government, I'm meaning the deep state. It's the deep state that is concerned about that. Politicians, as I say, come and go, and they have different portfolios. So the average politician will spend about two years in his or her portfolio. That's not enough time to get your head around Mm. complicated issues. Yeah, we look at politicians sometimes and get frustrated by their behaviour and the the way that they're running things, and it looks like sometimes they're just bumbling along day to day. Do we get that type of person or that type of feeling about that type of person because all the good ones are actually working within the deep state? Actually um, I think things. 
uh, people who work in the deep state are those who want to serve the country, but they can do without all the political spotlight. Mm. You know, you've got people who want to do things and you've got people who want to be someone. If you want to be someone, you go into politics. And that way you can move, like Joe Hockey, from being a real estate agent in North Sydney to becoming a politician, becoming treasurer. Your mates will then get you a job in Washington. Mm. So th- th- if you're a politician and you want to be someone, but you come across other people who say, I don't want to ha- live with that sort of limelight, and they are the ones who will serve the country. And they're immensely switched on human beings. Immensely, yeah. And they're reasonable human beings. Whereas politicians are not so much thinking of the national interest as their own self-interest. Does the stronghold of the deep state look set to deepen in Australia or does the ability of people to educate themselves and through the internet and the dark web, as we talked about (laughs) before, mean that manipulation is, or maybe not manipulation, but you know what I mean, it's less likely? I, I, I think that we will go into a period of even more manipulation. So we're moving into a period of what are called deep fakes. In other words, how you can manipulate people's pictures. You've got fake news. You've got the role of social media and the way that you can get all sorts of stories spread on social media. For example, if you look at the coronavirus tragedy in China, for example, there are a lot of Chinese who are relying on Chinese social media while they live in Australia and they're getting a very distorted view of the extent of the crisis in China. So I think people are actually getting more and more vulnerable to being misled. Hmm. We've just got to hope that the deep state is looking after things and we'll just go on living our lives. Well, they will certainly go on living their lives and let's hope that they continue to do well. Otherwise, we're going to be in trouble. Are, are these the ones that live in the big houses, by the way, the, the deep state people, the big houses and comfortable lives themselves? No, not really. You know, if they're earning a civil servant salary, it's a guaranteed salary for life, very different from a person who's running a store on a, a main street of Sydney. Hmm. Uh, they've got no guaranteed career. So these are people who will have good career structures. They will have good pensions. They're not necessarily living in in palatial mansions, but they're certainly financially well off. That's one of the reasons why people get attracted to the civil service. I come from a family of civil servants, Hmm. and my father's attitude was you get in the civil service, you got a job for life. Um, What was he? He was a civil servant. He worked in the Home Office in London. Okay. Home Office being? Home Office being a Minister of Internal Affairs. Yep. Right? So my father's viewpoint, you get in the civil service, you're set for life and then you have a pension at the end of it, right? And that's what attracts people to the deep state. They will know they'll get reasonably paid, not spectacularly paid. Mind you, you go into banking and you will be very well, very well paid. You're still part of the deep state. But, of course, there's always a risk that your bank will be taken over and you'll be fired. Whereas um, an ordinary business person, you know, plumber or carpenter, et cetera, mm. they've got no guarantee of any jobs. And they're the ones who are paying the taxes. They're the ones who pay for the deep state. Fair enough. Well, I'll keep outside the deep state for now, I dare say, or for the rest of my life and hope that it's going in the right direction. But Dr. Keith Suter, thanks so much for dropping by and um, I'll tune into some more Global Truths as well to learn some more things about some things I didn't even know I could learn about. So thank you very much for your time again on Peacock Politics. Thank you. Peacock Politics was presented by me, Adam Peacock, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Sound production by Darcy Thompson. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, go to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or search Peacock Politics on Apple Podcasts.